If you've played video games online, it's happened to you. You're holding it down in the war zone, helping your squad score a dub, when suddenly your head explodes, and there's no way anyone on the enemy team could have known where you were, let alone make the shot that killed you. Do you... do you just suck? Or could it be... a hacker? Two aimbotters against a team of four on the roof. Who's gonna win? Team of three. Yo! What? You shot him through the floor! Bro, I didn't even think you could do that! Claiming a hacker killed you instead of taking the L with dignity is a time-honored tradition in gaming. But, in a lot of online shooters, in Call of Duty in particular, hacking has become ubiquitous. The issue is so prevalent that Activision literally can't remove hackers from the game fast enough, and the people selling the hacks are running out of stock. Here to walk us through the dark side of Call of Duty is Motherboard staff writer Joseph Cox. I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Joseph, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. Hi, thank you. Uh, ready to speak about my literal favorite subject in the entire world. All right, so let's get your, your bona fides out of the way up here at the top. You play Call of Duty, correct? Yes, uh, too much as well. You know, most days, me and Emmanuel, uh, our, our editor, and Jason, the editor-in-chief, and sometimes Lorenzo as well, will play Warzone, the free-to-play Battle Royale segment of Call of Duty. But it has expanded into covering that game and the cybersecurity, the technology, and the hacking ecosystems around it as well. All right, this is the most important question I'm going to ask you on this show. What is your kill-death ratio? <laughs> Oh my god. I don't know if I want to say that on air, but fine. It's uh, 1.36 or 1.37 right now, which is by no means that good. But it is the best among us, so I'm going to take that as my uh, as my title. Yeah, I've seen some clips of you, of you playing, and it's impressive. Uh, and I think that anything above a 1 for an online shooter is pretty good, uh, honestly. Have you ever been killed by a hacker? Increasingly so. So for the first year that we played this game during the pandemic, um, I don't think I ever really saw a hacker. It was just something that people in the community almost whispered about and you didn't quite believe. But recently so, we see them all the time, constantly. Um, and we do get killed by them as well. And it just puts an entire damper uh, on the game, of course. But it really does lead you even deeper down the rabbit hole of well, where are these cheaters coming from and what sorts of things are they doing? So what are the, like when you're playing and you're in the war zone, what are the telltale signs that you've been attacked by a hacker? Like, what does it look like? What do these hacks actually do for them? Sure. So obviously it's hard from the outside looking in to tell uh, all the time when somebody is cheating. But when you are killed in war zone, you will get the so-called kill cam, which will show, you know, uh, the last few seconds uh, of the from the perspective of the person who did eventually uh, get you, and there are there are some signs such as they will instantly snap to your body at a sort of a superhuman speed. Uh, they may be looking through a wall where you and your team are, and they shouldn't know that you're moving 
from left to right in that direction at that speed, uh, of course, because they're looking for an opaque object. So you may not be able to see everything that this cheetah can see. Obviously, they will have overlays where they will see, oh, well, people are over here. I think uh, people are going to be coming from there as well. But you can see sort of the, the second degree effects of their cheats and you can sometimes uh, notice them. All right, so you and Lorenzo have carved out quite a beat here. Um, every week, it seems like I'm, I'm seeing a story from one or both of you about some new development in this space. Why is there so much to write about? Right. I mean, Lorenzo's done the really heavy lifting on the more technical cheating side, figuring out, you know, how the people are cheating and what they're doing. Whereas I've focused more on the sort of ecosystem or economy side, you know, where these accounts are being bought, all of that sort of thing. And there's so much to write about. Well, first of all, because this is a hugely popular game. I think the latest figure put out by Activision is something like 100 million players. Now, of course, they're not all playing all day, every day at the same time. It's somewhat of a marketing term as well. You know, 100 million people have signed up to play. Regardless, that's still a hell of a lot of people. So there's just the sheer uh, impact of scale there. But there is also the fact that this is a free-to-play game. You know, obviously a very popular uh, ec- economic model when it comes to gaming nowadays. And so that just means that anybody can join in and also cheaters can come back ultimately. Okay, so let's say I want to cheat at Call of Duty. I want to get into this. Mm. I want to get I want to get the easy headshots, I want to get the easy dubs. What am I looking at picking up or buying and how much is it going to cost me? First of all, you probably want to get get some accounts. Uh, Warzone works on a sort of login system. I think you have to have an Activision account. Uh, I think they still call that. So you would need to have one of those. And you would either make one, and then it would maybe get banned because you're cheating, but you still need to have a steady supply of them. So you would go and buy some of these accounts off one of these Discord or Telegram channels that me and Lorenzo are in. And what the people are doing here is that they are generating at scale um, verified accounts. So they have a phone number linked to them, so they look more legitimate. So you can just hop on and use one of those, hopefully trying to get around some of Activision uh, security uh, procedures in place. After that, you will want to actually get a cheat. And I mean, this is going to be, of course, a a piece of software uh, running on your computer, which you then will buy a subscription to. Uh, At least some of the ones I saw, you know, just today, before we did this, I just wanted to go check in some of the discords and see what was going on. Uh, One was 35 euros a month, and that would give you, you know, your aimbotting, your wall hacking, uh, your permanent UAV, so you can see where everybody is on the minimap, and you just pay per month. I presume that's so, uh, you know, cheater or cheat developers can maintain the revenue that they're going to be getting from these cheats rather than doing a one-off sale. They can hopefully get people to come in and retain that, just like a subscription you would for anything else as well. But you're going to buy an account, and you're going to buy the cheat itself, ultimately. All right, so what is Activision doing to fight against this? So every few months, or even more recently, it feels like every few weeks, Activision will come out with an announcement saying they've banned another 40,000 accounts, another 50,000 accounts that allegedly belong to cheaters. Um, And that's all fine. You know, they they are projecting, they, they are making 
you know, a change there, and at least they're acting upon it. But from the perspective, honestly, as a player, it doesn't feel like they've banned 40,000 or 50,000 cheaters. We still see them every week when we go in. We're going to see at least one cheater, probably a couple. Um, so just anecdotally, from my own experience, it doesn't feel like uh, much is actually happening. They have announced, I believe, uh, at least officially, that when the new Call of Duty comes out later this year, the, the World War II-themed Vanguard one, uh, that is apparently going to launch with a new anti-cheat that's been in development for over a year. Um, so maybe something more concrete is going to um, happen then. But from a player perspective, it doesn't feel like much has actually changed, apart from them just announcing those bans. Right. I think there was a re- one of the recent stories y'all wrote is that 700,000 people have been banned, or 700,000 accounts, I should say, actually, have been banned for mm-hmm. cheating since the since Warzone started, right? Right, exactly. And that's a big number, of course. And it, but as you rightly point out, that's going to be accounts, not necessarily people. Because of this being a free-to-play game, people are just going to hop onto another account or create them. And Activision has taken some steps there as well. You mentioned that the stock of some of these accounts is getting low. And um, specifically, that's of so-called aged accounts. That's what the sellers and the buyers call them, because that would be probably an account that was actually legitimate. It was, you know, run and owned by just a normal player, but it then got hacked. Um, And that may include lots of rare skins you could only get early on, maybe ones that require some sort of effort to put in to actually unlock as well. And, you know, I've spoken to various hacking victims for our pieces over the months where, you know, they use the same password on multiple services. So it seems that's how people got in. But those are running out of stock now because it seems that Activision has put in a a capture, you know, where you'll where you try to log in to an account, you need to then do an extra form of verification that you're a human. This is something that we see every day, right? But only now are we just getting that onto these Activision accounts. Yeah, but even then, I thought it was interesting that you can buy Activision accounts that have phone numbers attached to them. Do we have any idea where those numbers are coming from? Are they just spoofed or autogened, or how's that work? It's certainly done at scale. Uh, the person who was selling um, those accounts. They wouldn't go into specific detail when I asked them about it, but they did say it was at bulk and it was being generated. So at least those accounts weren't hacked, it seems. It seems they have the two sort of parallel parallel lines of business, which is breaking into the aged accounts and then developing at scale the SMS Verify ones. I imagine they're going to be developed with some sort of uh, VOP service, voice over IP, just because that may lend more handily to generating numbers uh, and accounts at scale. But we're not entirely sure. And that's a problem with this cheating industry in general. Lots of these cheat devs and sellers don't have much incentive to talk to us. You know, like lots of cyber criminals, they want to show off. Um, they can have plenty, plenty of reasons for speaking to us. These guys aren't all that chatty always. Well, it's more of a business, right? Right, exactly. I mean, just as we were talking, I literally in my ear got a Telegram uh, notification from someone just saying that there's limited availability uh, of these SMS verified accounts that you just mentioned, and there's already somebody going in, how much are they? Like, these people are acting very, very quickly all the time to try to shift this stock and ultimately generate, you know, a business, yeah. What are those accounts selling for right now, if you've got the Telegram in front of you? I'm kind of curious. 
Uh, well, <laughs> the person says how much, and the other one hasn't responded yet. But when it comes to the aged accounts, depending on what is in the account themselves, they can go from you know hundreds of dollars up to potentially thousands of dollars. It really depends what's inside. If you have um, an obsidian skin, for example, which requires a lot of grinding on one particular gun, uh, that is easily going to go for hundreds, if not potentially thousands. And the same goes for another skin called Damascus, which... Uh, uh, our editor Emmanuel put in a lot of work to unlock, so I'm sure he's annoyed that people are just buying that uh, as well. But you can do all the, all of that uh, sort of thing. There are also these um, tools called unlockers, and we're not exactly sure how they all work. There's some variety. Um, but these cheaters will sell the ability to go into a lobby with essentially a load of bots or inactive players. You rack up the kills, and then you can you know, somewhat organically unlock those skins, but you are still cheating in a way. So there's just all of these different lines of business for these guys. So do do we have any idea, this is probably a, a question you don't have an answer to, do we have any idea what, like, one of these hacking houses is making a year off of this? Not really. I mean, when it comes specifically to Warzone, I haven't seen any figures, but Lorenzo, you know, has done great reporting on particularly a Chinese seller who I think was um, selling cheats more specifically for uh, PUBG, you know, one of one of, if not the earliest sort of popular battle royale uh, game. And maybe I'm wrong on this, but I seem to remember them making you know, at least tens of millions of dollars on this. It is regardless a huge business i mean on the lower end of course the account sellers don't don't think they're going to be making that much money but at the higher end when you are developing uh, a framework a piece of software for cheating in a video game that's a serious amount of technical skill expertise uh, commitment and ultimately uh, uh, and potentially a profit as well another angle of this story that i thought was pretty interesting is you guys have been playing basically since the pandemic started as kind of this regular group. Um, your skill level has increased. You're better at the game now than you were when you started. Does that, at those higher tiers, when you get up to that level, you're seeing more hackers, right? Yeah, I would say anecdotally, at least in our own experience, that is true. As you say, when we first started, obviously, we were pretty bad at this game, me especially. I, di I didn't know uh, what to do at all. Now that we are in these um, higher skill lobbies, uh, Warzone, in most game modes, does put you against similarly skilled players based on that uh, KD ratio that we mentioned at the top. So, of course, a cheater... It's going to have a rogue KD because it's basically impossible to kill them and they can kill anybody they want on the map near instantaneously if they uh, decide to, right? So yes, you ultimately do end up in lobbies uh, with cheaters. Sort of ironically, the better at the game uh, you get, yeah. Have you or Lorenzo happened to talk to anyone that cheats? I'm, I'm just curious about like what the psychology is. Like why? Because like, I've watched the videos of the people playing with the cheats on and it just seems boring, <laughs> to me yeah so right totally well i mean this is this is the sort of thing i'm really interested in in that beyond the cheats themselves and sort of the technical aspect you have this very interesting cultural aspect right and i would put it in sort of two groups you have the so-called rage cheaters who they don't care they load up all of their blatant cheats super over the top you can instantly tell that they're uh, cheating at the game and they will get banned. They don't care. They'll buy another account and they'll go again. And they even, the, the people who are buying these cheats and selling them, they even use that term rage. You know, that is what it's about. They, they, they don't care at all. You then have the much more subtle ones 
um, who may be streamers. You know, there's always uh, accusations going around of big streamers actually cheating when, you know, maybe they're just good at the game. But you certainly do see it with some of the mid-level or lower streamers. Uh, you know, I'm a avid consumer of Warzone YouTube and YouTube in general, and I'm always watching videos of streamers getting caught, bringing up their cheats because uh, they accidentally brought up the task manager or something like that. And some of these cheats even have a setting in them called legit. So it you know, just subtly helps your aim or something like that. So the culture, uh, as you put it, is, is it varies wildly. It's those people who want to be super aggressive and don't care, but also the ones who want to trick their audiences, um, essentially. And that seems to be the reason why they're doing it. All right, one, one more for you on this. So what is the future of this? I've seen some pretty apocalyptic coverage, uh, mostly on YouTube, about this new AI-powered tech that's coming yeah, the AI powered tech was uh, essentially a piece of hardware which would go into a console and it would be able to do object recognition, you know, which is obviously uh, some uh, a general concept that can be applied to a lot of different things and maybe a car recognizing a pedestrian or, or a traffic light or something. Or in this case, perhaps you could use it to make a video game character recognize an enemy player or something like that or, or a weapon or whatever it may be. Um, and this person was offering this piece of hardware they would plug into the console and you know complete that goal. I believe the person stopped selling or, or stopped planning to sell this item when they were contacted by Activision. But it does show that people are trying to bridge that gap you know, between PC and console gaming. All of these cheats that we've been speaking about, they only work on PC. You have to download them. You have to run them on your own machine. You can't do that on a on a PlayStation or, or an Xbox or whatever it may be. And, you know, plenty of people turn off cross-play for that exact reason. They don't even want to encounter PC players at the risk of also bumping into a cheater. I mean, the future is we'll probably see more people trying to do that console variant, but ultimately it's just going to be this cat-and-mouse game between the publishers, the developers, and the cheat devs, and they're just going to keep going. And of course, this is not just a Warzone problem. There's, you know, Valorant who offered their own anti-cheat, which runs at the kernel level uh, of the of the um, player's computer, which you know gets a lot more access to processes uh, running on the system. But it's a little bit more controversial uh, when it comes to you know pushing that sort of agent out to your player bases. Maybe this is what the Valorant Call of Duty uh, anti-cheat is going to be. We don't know yet. But this fight is just going to keep on going. All right. I, I imagine this grim future of people sitting in front of a console that's hooked up to a computer that's playing the game for them while they drink coffee and smile. Um, and that just sounds unpleasant <laughs> and unfun. Joseph Cox, thank you so much for coming on and walking us through this. We're going to jump into Cypher now and go through some of last week's best tech stories. Uh, will you stick around? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
everyone. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cypher. It's that wonderful part of Cyber where we decipher the week's biggest tech stories. Lorenzo is out, so Joseph is sticking around, uh, and he wrote all the stories we're talking about, so he has much to answer for. We'll get to that at the end of this discussion. Joseph, the first story I kind of want to talk about is mostly just video footage of something bizarre that happened. Um, video shows moment Iranian prison realizes it was hacked. What is going on here? Yeah, so this, uh, as you say, is a video that was being circulated by Iranian and international press of the moment that uh, a controversial prison in Iran, officers there, realized that they had been targeted by some piece of malware. And the video just gives you a really interesting you know, physical, kinetic insight into what a data breach actually looks like. Usually, of course, we're always dealing with, you know, we see the data afterwards or we see the reporting or the statement afterwards. This is literally the moment when the malware is in and is doing its thing. And the video just shows a a prison official, presumably some sort of guard or administration official, looking at a wall of screens that you would expect in some sort of government facility, you know, some of them go black and it's like, oh, maybe the screen's just turned off. And then some of them start flashing orange until eventually this message uh, appears, you know, clearly announcing that the prison has faced some sort of um, cyber attack. The officer goes off and <laughs> clearly is like, holy shit, I should probably call my bosses. Uh, and a group of people come in and they're staring in what seems like disbelief uh, at the wall of monitors on their phones trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, of course, now we know actually what was happening was that those hackers who had pasted those messages on those uh, screens were also exfiltrating data uh, from this Iranian prison. Uh, ultimately, they provided copies of that footage to the Associated Press and those videos showed, you know, solitary confinement cells, uh, people, uh, the guards presumably beating up uh, inmates and various other sorts of abuses as well. I mean, of course, we know that this sort of grotesque behavior is going to happen, but here is here it is in the flesh. You know, this is literally um, seeing it with your own eyes albeit through the lens of, you know, some sort of prison security camera that's been hacked. And then later on, a senior Iranian government official confirmed that, you know, this is unacceptable behavior and we will change it, etc., etc. But it was just so interesting to see the moment somebody getting hacked that we, we never usually get to witness. Yeah, it was there, there's a really striking moment in the video, uh, and it's all on Twitter, uh, it's pretty easy to find, um, where the, the gentleman in the black shirt has come in and is just filming all of the screens that are flashing right. the message. And he kind of looks <laughs> over his shoulder at the CCTV camera like, ah, what are we doing here? I mean, yeah, clearly he is filming it for his boss. Everybody is in disbelief. They're not exactly sure what's going on, but they, they realize something something bad is happening, you know? And the other, the other thing I, I hesitate to say like about this story, the other, um, the other thing I think is interesting about this story is that we don't hear a whole lot about hacktivists or like white hat hackers doing this kind of thing for good. Typically, when we have hacking stories, we're talking about pipelines being shut down or, you know, people cheating in Call of Duty. But this is like an example of activist hackers, right? Right, totally. And it's funny that this happened now because there is another case kind of ongoing at the moment in Belarus where hackers have broken into a wide range of government databases. They've seemingly got intercepted calls as well between government officials and SWAT teams and all of that sort of thing. And they are really 
aggressively uh, pushing against, obviously, the regime there and using this data not just to publish it, but apparently to also organize some sort of on-the-ground activities too. I mean, hacktivism obviously goes back a long way with Anonymous and their DDoS campaigns through to uh, Phineas Fisher, who targeted Hacking Team and other surveillance companies up to now, you know. But it has been a while since we've seen some, you know, really... um, visually striking hacktivism. All right, let's move on to another one you wrote last week. Uh, It was extremely disturbing to me because it has to do with virtual private networks and some other stuff. How data brokers sell access to the backbone of the internet. And the subtitle is, ISPs are quietly distributing NetFlow data that can, among other things, trace traffic through VPNs. What is going on here? Sure. So at a very high level, obviously, we're going too technical, there is something called NetFlow data. And this is what uh, internet service providers will have. And it basically can build a picture of how much data is flowing across a network. And you can kind of figure out very generally what is happening on that network. So investigators may use this to go, well, we need to know where hackers are launching their attacks from. So they may be able to use NetFlow data to identify uh, a command and control server or a researcher's assistant lab have used it to identify, I believe, uh, a phone or or at least a device related to that that was infected by some uh, Israeli malware. When you are the ISP, you have access to this NetFlow data. If you are, of course, your own organization, uh, you may be able to access your own NetFlow data as well. But what is happening here is that ISPs are giving away uh, or trading that NetFlow data to other businesses who then sell access to it. You know, it's this problem that we keep coming up into uh, a motherboard with the supply chains of data, whether that's location data from the telcos filtering down to bounty hunters, um, or location data from apps, you know, from a, from a Muslim prayer app ending up with a company that sells the US military. This, I, I don't think, is as as alarming as those. You know, the, the positive use cases here are much clearer than that. But it is still a case of this sensitive data being distributed further than people may uh, realize. You know, I spoke to one person a while ago when I started looking into this, I think, last year. It's been a, a long way coming. But they were looking at a NetFlow data set that could be bought access to, and they saw an organization they knew in that data set. You know, they hadn't provided consent for that information to be shared, and it's very unlikely that individual users of these ISPs uh, even know this is happening, you know, let alone uh, actually give informed consent for that sort of stuff to be traded. I mean, the real question is, and this is what some of the sources say, is that they may not be concerned of who is using this sort of data right now uh, one of the companies selling it is one called team cumry they're a threat intelligence company who help organizations you know stop getting hacked or respond and that sort of thing uh, but what happens when maybe another sort of company tries to get hold of it as well what about a saudi company for instance you know what happens when a different sort of entity has access to this sort of data is the main concerns of the sources Right. This this quote really struck me. I'm concerned that NetFlow data being offered for commercial purposes is a path to a dark place. Uh, expletive deleted for the for for our listeners. So, do we have any idea? Like, what what happens if the Saudis get a hold of this? Is it something that we could like pinpoint the exact you know traffic that someone's going through, or or is it too big 
Does that make does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's the actual threat itself is not super easy to relate to. I would say it's not like they can buy it and then go, "Oh, look, this dissident is visiting this website" or something like that. It would be more they could potentially. Um, find out, you know, which servers are communicating to which servers. You know, that's the sort of um, sort of way to phrase what this data actually looks like. So then, if potentially, if someone was trying to hide their own or perhaps their organization's efforts behind some sort of uh, VPN or other sort of server infrastructure, potentially the Saudis could then find stuff to identify, well, this is going on, uh, let's find out uh, who is behind this, this sort of thing. It, it could be used, you know, sort of a almost counter surveillance tool but it, it really depends on the case and of course it does ultimately depend who actually gets hold of it as well all right so one of the things that i thought was really concerning here is this idea and i'll read directly from some of the marketing material y'all found uh trace malicious activity through a dozen or more proxies and vpns to identify the origin of a cyber threat you know they kind of paint this picture where vpns and proxies are used by malicious actors and they certainly are online. I mean, that is true. But they are also used by journalists such as myself, and and I'm sure a bunch of the listeners use VPNs to do things like, uh, you know, protect themselves online and, and keep, you know, malicious actors away from them, or at least make it harder for people to figure out what they're doing on the internet and like, pr- just protect their network. And it, it always disturbs me when someone comes in and is saying that they can disrupt that. Um, and yeah, they may be able to stifle some threat models, but they're opening up a whole set of new ones, right? Right, totally. I mean, the example they give in some of the marketing material is chasing or you know trying to attribute this uh, group of hackers called Oil Rig, and ordinarily what you may do is that you'd be like, oh, well, their malware connected to a server with this IP address, and then you'd be like, oh, well, that's kind of a dead end, right? We don't know what happened after that. What this data allows is that they can say, well, where, what, who, what service did that server then communicate to itself as well? And they can keep doing that and keep expanding on that. And then they can see, you know, a much more wider web of the communications that ultimately came from this piece of malware. And sure, that could be used potentially to be like, well, this person or this device being used by a person, you know, which server did it connect to, to which server, to which server. And of course, as we know, IP addresses can give an approximate uh, physical location. You know, or it depends if they're just using uh, a server in a data center or not, or something behind a router, of course. But there is some potential here. And the, and the sources who have seen and work with this data acknowledge that. But I want to talk about one more story just briefly. Um, I think it's the most important story we're going to talk about today. Um, Making me very upset when I saw it. It's written by you, although I, 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 under, I heard that there was an attempt to make you anonymous that you rejected. Um, uh-huh. I've played my PS5 for dozens of hours on my iPad Touch. Sometimes compressing a game into a four-inch screen is the better way to play. What the hell is going on? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my. Uh, it's even worse than ha- and than what you said. I'm afraid it's not even an iPad. It's an iPod Touch. So we're talking about something, uh, you know, minuscule, <laughs> basically. Uh, but as, as some people know, I, I don't 
own a phone. I, I, I just use uh, my iPod and I use that for Signal and, and various other messages and that sort of it. Um, but, you know, the PlayStation 4 and now the 5 has this pretty interesting feature on how to remote play. You download an app and you stream what your uh, console is seeing and you can interact with it with touch controls. And I stand by it. I think it's a fine way to play a JRPG like Persona 5 with a turn-based combat. Uh, it does suck for Call of Duty. I've tried it, and you run around and get shot immediately. But no, it, it's been very useful uh, for me. But I do appreciate that uh, for the vast majority of people, this is a terrible and awful way uh, to play uh, your video games, you know. But if anything, it made me reassured that, you know, when people are talking about streaming their games, I've never really believed it. You know, we saw how much of a disaster Stadia was and I've never really jumped onto that. But here, I have to admit, it kind of worked, you know. Yeah, I've had decent experiences with it as well when I'm on vacation or somewhere away from my from my main system, but never when I'm in the same area. It's just terribly upsetting, Joseph. Yes, um, I, I understand that. And I think I just have to let people be upset, you know, but I, I totally understand uh, where everybody's coming from with that, yeah. Joseph Cox, thank you for coming on to Cyber and walking us through all this. All the stories are on Motherboard, and I'm sure we will have you back on in the near future. Sure thing. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.